This is Journey Church Podcast. Here at Journey, we believe in encountering God and embracing people. From wherever you're listening, we hope you are encouraged by this week's message. Wasn't that an awesome testimony? Yeah. So it's horrible that I'm speaking today because I knew I'd be a total wreck after this. And I have to teach on a really hard passage today, but... I just want to say thank you to Karen for sharing your story. Listen, we believe that God is moving in our midst in this time. The world might be telling us, I mean, your news feed might be telling you that you need to prepare in a bomb shelter somewhere and that nothing good is happening. But our God says something different. He tells a different story. And uh, we want to continue telling testimonies like this about our God who moves, our God who is still real, a God who does miracles. So that maybe you came in today and you, you just came and you were not sure if God is real or if he's still moving. I want you to know that uh, he's real. And, and maybe you're here and you have a miracle story like the one Karen just told us. Uh, we don't believe that he just does miracles once every thousand years. And oh, sorry, we're out of miracles now here. <laughs> we believe that God is a miracle-working God. So listen, if you have a miracle, we want to highlight your story. So just please feel free to um, connect with us uh, on email, and we'd be happy to set up a testimony story. Because doesn't that help your heart? Like, Because it, it, it reminds us, like I think your words, Karen, whatever you're praying for, it gives us faith to believe. Faith begets faith. This is the thing about faith that grows. This is why you cannot do life alone because you might be going through a really difficult season and you needed to hear Karen's story today. But God still does miracles. Well, we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 3 again today. And if you read ahead, you prayed for me this week. Um, we, we talked about the point of 1 Peter being, though, uh, let me just give you a little recap on this series. Peter says over and over and over again in, in this book that our witness is the point of our discipleship. So uh, the way that we live towards Jesus is the point of our discipleship, the way people see our lives. Uh, he reminds us again that we are to be aliens, that we are to be exiles, that we are to live as exiles, not as people who have bought in full stock and barrels to the world, but we're actually to live as people who are different, and our lives should look different. And he uh, talked about one of the ways that we show off our differences, our difference that Jesus has made, is through this really loaded word called submission. And he spends basically the better part of chapter 2 and part of chapter 3 talking to us about that. Now, if you've read 1 Peter before, you may be like me, and you'd get to this part about submission and get a bit squeamish. Um, the thing is, we cannot, as Christians, just acquiesce to only dealing with the easy passages. Now, I'll be the first person to tell you that 90% of the passages in the Bible are not difficult. They're, not, they're difficult. Yes, they're difficult to live out. Take up your cross and follow me. It's difficult, but not difficult in some ways. Um, but this is why we have to be committed to preaching expositionally, because I'm going to tell you with all honesty in my bones that if we were not preaching expositionally, I would not be preaching on 1 Peter chapter 3 today. This would not be a topic of choice for me. Um, and uh, we let Jesus, when we, when we preach through the word of God like this, we're letting Jesus set the agenda for us. We're letting his word set the agenda, not ourselves, not some preacher or teacher or Bible study leader, 
Uh, we're letting Jesus set the agenda for us. And this doesn't mean that we don't use scholarship or other voices or teachers around us. It just means that we are not afraid to grapple with the scripture and um, wrestle with it. Now, as an aside, last week I got lots of great feedback. Um, some of you agreeing with me with how we talked about 1 Peter chapter 2 and some of you disagreeing. And, but I, I want to tell you this. This is exactly the kind of dialogue we want to engender. We are not looking to create a community of people that just say, yes, this is what I believe, and if I come here, everybody thinks the same thing. Also, who would want that voice? Um, but, but we're looking for, for dialogue. With, this is how we learn to love the scripture. You don't love something till you grapple with it, till you turn it around from every angle, till you ask hard questions of it. So thank you for all your feedback. We're not looking for conformity, but true wrestling. And this is what makes us not a cult. Like if you were worried, some of you, like maybe I've been coming. This is what makes us not a cult. So congratulations, you haven't joined a cult. Uh, this is what makes us a community of substance. Where we can say, hey, I, I understand how you're looking at that. I don't know. I see it another way. Awesome. Um, okay, so now uh, I, I want to tell you that this, uh, this week we're, we're continuing on in 1 Peter chapter 3. But I owe a great deal of gratitude and debt to scholars who have helped me in this and not personally helped me, helped me with their work. So people like Bruce Fleming and Mark Malkowitz, Rachel Held Evans, Gilbert Bilzik. He has a really weird last name, Bilzikin. Edmund Clowney and Thomas Schreiner. And what I have done, um, if you go on our website this week, because we're going to go through a lot of scholarship, if, you've, um, if you're interested, you want to read the scholarship that I've written, uh, or that I've written, that I read, um, if you go on our website, under the resources tab, there's a little resource tab that you can go to, and I've given you a little bit of a, um, you can do some extra reading, some homework this week if you, if you so choose. Okay, here we go. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. We're going to look first at 1 through 6, and then we're going to look at 7 and 8 um, by themselves. Okay, wives. Now, okay, before I start this, all the ladies in the room, just, you're going to take a deep breath in now. Okay. Dave was happy I was preaching this text and not him. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. When they see the purity and reverence of your lives, your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past, who put their hope in God, used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands like Sarah who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. Don't be getting any ideas. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Okay, so this is clearly a, a passage of scripture. How many of you have read this passage before and gone, huh? And then just went, well, we'll go on to the next chapter for the Bible reading. Um, Okay, so we want to start off looking at the linguistic context of this. It's really important whenever you're studying scripture that you'd look at the linguistic context. Um, the very first part of this scripture says this. It says, wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands. Okay, what's interesting there is that little clause that says, in the same way. Uh, what, what's happening here, we have to remember the context of the scripture we find this scripture in. Uh, this is the third of three relationships Peter is using to illustrate a principle. 
Okay, so last week we talked about this. We talked about submitting to the government. I'm sorry. And then we talked about um, how slaves would submit to their masters, and we, we talked about the context of that, and then he says, wives in the same way, submit to your, to your husbands. The principle Peter is trying to get at here is, how should an exile respond to difficult relationships or unjust treatment? That is the principle Peter is trying to, um, trying to reiterate. And this pattern is not just seen in 1 Peter, but it's also seen in Ephesians chapter 5 and Colossians chapter 3. Um, the pattern tells us something about the nature of what Peter is saying here, and this is very, very important. If you miss in the same way, you miss the point of the whole passage, he's, he's putting examples out, and he's telling us, we're going to talk about the Roman household codes in a second, but Rachel Held Evans uh, said this, the implications of this pattern are astounding, for if Christians are to use these passages to argue that a hierarchical relationship between man and woman is divinely instituted and inherently holy, then for consistency's sake, they must also argue the same for the relationship between the master and the slave. We talked about this last week, how God in this passage was not condoning slavery in any way. We in fact know from the, uh, from the Old Testament that God not in any way, shape, or form condoned slavery. And Christians all around the world, as they studied scripture, came to this conclusion. But you have to see that these two scriptures are fused together. And Paul is not making, or Peter is not making a, a comment about whether this is right or good. He's saying, so how do we, if we're in an unjust system, and the Roman system certainly was, how do we bear up underneath that and serve Jesus? Okay, so now let's go to the Roman household codes. It's secondly really important to understand that the, the cultural context that Peter was writing in um, was one, pe people who read this would have immediately recognized that um, Peter was trying to put a Christian spin on Greek, uh, Greco-Roman household codes. Um, and these were um, ubiquitous throughout Rome at the time. The household codes are also found in Ephesians and Colossians. And these gender roles um, usually boil down to, uh, these gender roles usually boil down to the submission of all women to male-only authority. But these, but these codes weren't primarily about this. They weren't about women submitting to men. They were about, um, they were about power. Household codes by pagan authors such as Aristotle and Xenophon were written in order to uphold the rights of the powerful and keep the less powerful in their place. Okay, so the point of these Roman household codes was to keep weak people weak and strong people stronger. And most philosophers of the day, particularly the Stoic philosophers, would have told you that this is how society was kept intact. And one of the aims of 1 Peter, Ephesians, and Colossians was to mi mitigate the harsh treatment. So the difference between Roman household codes and what Peter talks about in, and what Paul talks about in Ephesians and Colossians is this. The Roman household codes generally just spoke to the people of power. So that would be men, government, and uh, slave owners. But what Peter does is absolutely astounding and would have been astounding to the people listening or reading at the time because he speaks to who first? He speaks to the people living under government, he speaks to the slaves, and he speaks to the women. women. This would have been jaw-dropping to the people listening for the first time. 
Um, just, and, and, and it gave a way, and we're going to see this in a minute, it gave a way for um, the weaker parties to be protected. The New Testament stopped short of calling for social revolution. Christian teaching that blatantly undermined or openly subverted the social structures of the day would have been disastrous for this new Jesus movement that was gaining momentum. And we know this, that the Romans then became very suspicious of Christians. And part of it was the way that they addressed these household codes. Um, this, these, the way that Peter talked in this particular passage was not seen as oppressive. It was actually seen as like very, um, whoa, like they actually believe everybody's equal. This is very dangerous. And Roman and the Roman um, magistrates at the time would have seen it as dangerous. Um, Peter is giving a way for weaker people to reminding them that they have degrees of agency. And this is really important. Uh, this was never seen before in texts like you have the choice to do this and don't live by fear, but you can do this. Um, Peter knew that they had power, weaker people had power over their consciences, their motives, and their devotion to the Lord. And when you go back and read the scriptures like this, with this understanding, it becomes very clear what Peter's doing. Um, so after addressing the people with less power, Peter addresses the people with more power, husbands, parents, male and female slave owners. Um, it, this is um, important because Paul's instructions, particularly Paul, really highlights this. He tells um, husbands, and Peter does as well, to love their wives. Now this would, like, in Ephesians, he tells them to love their wives six times. For people reading this in the first century, it would have been like jaw-dropping. Like, what is he saying? This has nothing to do with how order is kept. And it's interesting that Paul did not comment on the ethics or the right and wrong of the hierarchies in the average Greco-Roman households, except for in the case of children obeying their parents. Parents, you can use this. This is for free. This is not from 1 Peter, but it is necessary for you to know. The only time Peter said that the hierarchy was right, he said, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. So children, if you're listening and your mom has said that to you, she is godly and right. Mm -hmm. I hope my children listen to the podcast. They do not. Um, but, but conversely, Peter or Paul never talk about the godliness or the ethicalness of these passages. And in fact, in, there is no verse in the Old Testament where God or Moses commands the submission of wives to their husbands or obedience of slaves to their masters as a general principle. The purpose of the household codes was not to endorse or reinforce the power structures of Greco-Roman households. As we mentioned just before, one purpose was to lessen the potential abuse for uh, abuse that often came with unequal power in ancient households. So Paul taught love and equity because you don't mistreat something that you love. Um, biblical passages about wives submitting to their husbands were not, as many Christians assume, rooted in a culture epitomized by June Cleaver's kitchen. They were, um, they were rooted in a culture epitomized by Greco-Roman household codes. This is very, very important. Oftentimes, evangelicals, when they are, um, when they're exegeting scripture, 
they exegete it back to 1953. And I just want to remind us all that the Bible was not written in 1953. It was connected to us, and it's relevant to us, but we have to see it in the right cultural context. If we don't, we will get the wrong thing. Uh, Sharon Dowd said this, the apostles advocated this system not because God revealed it as the divine will for Christian homes, but because it was the only stable and respectable system anyone knew about. It was the best the culture had to offer. Okay, so we talked about this last week, that God, we, we believe that God, throughout the Bible, gave progressive, progressive revelation. It's why they, there were passages about slavery, but Christians like woke up and went, no, 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 the progression of God is that we wouldn't have that. And Christians have always been on the cutting edge of saying no to slavery. The abolition of slavery happened because Christians got a hold of this. And God is still a God who is, uh, he is continuing to reveal himself to us. And we, we root that and anchor that in the Bible. Okay, let's get to the next passage. I've entitled this bold, beautiful, bold, and brash. Uh, let me just remind us of the scripture. Your beauty shouldn't come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. What is an elaborate hairstyle, though? Like, is it if you have very wild hair, like it takes you, like this hair that I have, I have COVID hair right now. I haven't had a haircut in a long time. So, like, have you ever wondered about that? I am wearing gold today. Some of you, this is not real gold, though, so, I mean, I guess I'm okay. I've got tin on. Uh, what is Paul, what is Peter actually getting at here? He's not saying don't wear jewelry and like everybody put your hair in a messy bun, all the ladies, just a mess, only messy buns will do and sweatpants, although some of us would have liked that. Um, what he's saying is that the substance of your life shouldn't be beauty, the substance of it. You know, in the Roman um, world, many women were taught that their value, their worth, and even their power uh, came from their beauty. And I would say that in the 21st century, that is still true. Many women, when they are born into this world, are told that their power and their, and their self-worth comes from their beauty. And Peter here is standing up to the culture and saying, no, that's not true. Um, we are taught often by our culture that a woman with great physical beauty will have power to get what she wants. But Peter says, what is valuable to God is Christ-like character, a calm, steadfast faith in him. And he says this really... Um, Thing about a gentle and quiet spirit. Have any of you been perplexed by that? Particularly those of you that are not gentle or quiet. I mean, I remember being a teen. I am not gentle or quiet. I mean, I'm sometimes quiet, but very rarely. Dave would say never. When I'm sleeping, I'm quiet. Um, like, I used to always, I used to start every school year and every new year thinking, this is the year I'm going to be quiet and gentle. And I'd get to day one, and then I'd fail. I'd think, well, I guess there's next year. What was Peter saying here? Did he say, like, the only godly people can be shy, introverted people? Like, if you're quiet by nature, you have read these verses, and yes, said yes. These are my life verses here. <laughs> and all the rest of us are feeling, like, left out. What is Peter talking about here? Uh, a gentle and quiet spirit, though, doesn't mean introverted and shy. Although, if you are introverted and shy, lovely. That's how the Lord's made you. But he doesn't mean that somehow extroverted loud women are offensive to God. Um, he's not talking... What it means is to have a spirit at peace, not trying to posture or manipulate or control, but full trust in God. 
And this is precious to God. Why? Because this is exactly how Jesus was. Submission with a quiet spirit was a core dimension of Jesus' character. Can you see what Peter's doing here? He's actually reminding us that both men and women have the ability to show the, the, the character of Jesus. Okay, so to put simply, Christ-likeness of your character is more important than your clothes or your clout. This is true of all of us. Okay, and then it says, um, then, and then I want to get to a section that I've entitled Lords and Ladies. They submitted themselves to their own husbands like Sarah who obeyed Abraham and called them her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give away to fear. Now this certainly is no woman's life verse here, right? Um, so what does it mean? What does the scripture this is where, like, we, we actually have to grapple with, with all the verses. We can't just say, like, well, I don't know about this verse. It's, like, not one of my favorites, so we actually have to grapple with it. When you do a bit of historical research, though, what you find is that this word Lord here isn't like our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It's a different word. And it was ubiquitous in the time for the word husband, Okay, so let's read it this way. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham, and called him her husband. What? So now what's going on here? Well, he was her husband, so what, what does that mean? The text is basically saying this to us. Now, you have to know a little bit of background in the Old Testament when you're reading the New Testament. Um, if you read the story of Abraham and Sarah, you'll know that Abraham, although a good man, made a lot of weird mistakes. I mean, he was sending her to Egypt to be the wife of the Pharaoh. He was laughing like he, he, he gave her to, like they, Abraham and Sarah were mixed up. They did not have, if you're looking to like have a good marriage, you don't probably want to base it off Abraham and Sarah. They had problems. A lot, a lot. They needed counseling. The text is basically saying this, Sarah submitted to Abraham and kept calling him her husband and treating him like her husband, even though not everything was perfect. This is really important for us to understand that when you come into covenant with somebody, you make the decision every single time and you have the agency, Peter is saying to women. You are not just someone who has to make a decision because you are in fear. This is why Peter makes the makes the point about if you do what is right and don't give in to fear. He's reminding women that in an unjust system, the way to get out from under it is to not be governed by fear, but to actually be governed by the Spirit of God, by the decisions, to live by the decisions you've made. This is important. Gilbertism, I can't say his name, but you can read it on the screen, says this. Peter reminds us that lives of subservient people can be dominated by fear. It's frightful to be, at the to be at the mercy of the unmerciful power. Peter forbids Christian wives to submit out of fear. His last word to them is, let nothing, literally, this is how you transliterate this text, let nothing terrify you, literally fearing no terror. All of a sudden, this scripture is starting to mean something different, don't you think? All of a sudden, you can see that Peter is not just saying, woman, submit. It's not what he's saying. He's saying, listen, as Christian people, and using wives as an example, we, we are not to live by fear of anything because we are children of the Most High God. 
And, and you might be in a system right now. I mean, I think all of us are somewhat in a system where we could be living by fear. And Peter says, no, no, no. I mean, do the right thing, yes, but not because you're afraid. Do the right thing because you know that God is with you. And if you were a woman reading this in the first century, you wouldn't have felt put down. You would have felt lifted up. You would have felt like there is somebody that is fighting for me. There's somebody that sees me. God actually sees me. And this is an amazing thing. Okay, so then Peter comes to the husband. So it's important, again, you've got to see the context. It's, I used to get so mad because I'd think, why is he always talking to the wives more? So rude. And why does he give us more verses? So rude. But in fact, that actually told the first century readers that they mattered. That how they lived mattered. Okay, so then he says to the husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Okay, so again, we've got this little clause here, in the same way. So Peter, uh, Peter, again, is tying this back to what concept? The concept of submission that we heard about in chapter 2. He's reminding, he's saying the same thing that Ephesians chapter 6 reminds us to. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Peter's, again, saying this idea of submitting to one another is the cornerstone of what it means to be discipled, of what it means to live as an exile. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate. Uh, Paul in, Peter instructs Christian husbands to give their Christian wives respect, or most accurately, the word is honor. In fact, what's interesting is that the Greek word he uses here for respect is the same word that is used when, when he says in chapter 2, honor the emperor. So, and in, in that, that day, you would give your whole, all your honor the emperor I mean this was not a like people were it's not like how we treat our prime minister or wherever country you're it's not the same way okay it's not like I kind of dislike him we live in the west who likes our prime minister no one <laughs> I mean it's not it's not I mean it's not like that okay so when he says honor the emperor people were like standing to attention when he said honor your wife like you honor the emperor I mean for most of times wives were like throwaways they could be divorced for any reason People would have read that and laughed out loud. Um, for some of the church in Asia Minor, this would have seemed like a, an extraordinary request. Peter tells husbands that they assign honor to their wives because in Christ, men and women are co-heirs in the life of grace. The Greek of 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7 uses language that unmistakably highlights the mutuality and equality of Christian husbands and wives. This is very important. The New Living Translation captures this meaning in their translation. It says, you, you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. And Peter, he also gives this real strong warning to husbands. He writes that if they, don't give their, uh, if they do not give their wives honor as co-heirs, that their prayers will be hindered. Yikes. Um, the point is clear. Men who transfer cultural notions about the superiority of men over women into the Christian community lose their ability to communicate with God. 
This is what Paul Atchmeyer said, who's a New Testament authority. The language here is very, very clear. Okay, so now I have left out the tricky part. What about the weaker vessel part? How many of you, we read that and you went, oh, it's nice. I always find this funny. When you have um, a church that has a lot of um, new Christians in it, we have many people who have just come to faith like they hadn't got to First Peter yet. And then they read that and go, what? What did I sign up for again? I'm the weaker. So what is Peter talking about here? If he's already given like sort of, he's already said like, you're co-heirs, but why did he call women weak? So obviously, um, most scholars will point out that, women, uh, that men are generally physically stronger, and for that, we are so grateful. Um, but more likely, Paul is referring to the fact that in Rome, women had a much so a weaker social status Marriage law in Rome was much better for men than it was for women. Men could have affairs, and they were expected to have affairs. Um, but if a woman had an affair, she was killed for it. Men could divorce their wives for pretty much any reason, but wives could not divorce their uh, husbands. A divorce always favored the man. The money was his, the kids were his. Many divorced women had to resort to prostitution. It was a horribly unjust system. Um, so the point is, is that women were the weaker vessel legally. And I do love this about the Bible, because it doesn't have any pretentious, like, pretentious ideas. It calls a spade a spade. God is not a God that he should lie. The Bible tells us that. And the Bible doesn't lie to us about the way things are. And so Peter calls it like it is. And Peter also, like, let's just remember who's writing this. It's Peter, the guy who got mad and chopped off a guy's ear. Okay, so like, he's the kind of... It's like, tell it like it is, dude. And he says, listen, women are the weaker vessel. They are the weaker vessel in this system. So you better love them, you better honor them, or your prayers will be hindered. Okay, so what can we learn from this passage? What, what, what does this, like, we're not in the Roman world. What does this mean for us today as Christ followers? The first thing that we learn is that our marriages are part of our witness. They're an essential part of our witness. Now, you might be here today, and you might not be married. And that's fine, because we, we recognize what Peter was trying to do here. He was trying to, he wasn't saying that if you weren't married, you don't count, or if you weren't married, we're waiting till you get married. He was using it as an example of how we interact with one another. The way we interact with one another is part of our witness, is a great part of our witness. Listen, if, if our marriages are... Uh, a wreck, our witness becomes a wreck. If the way that we interact with each other is anything short of what Jesus has called us to, mutual submission and honoring one another, putting each other first, having each other's preferences, then, we, um, then we've missed the mark. Um, the other thing we learn here is that mutual submission and honor is our privilege. The scripture doesn't let us get away from this, and it is uncomfortable. It is uncomfortable to say that as Christians, listen, at short of abuse, and we talked about this a little bit last week, the Bible never calls us to abuse but, or, or to lives. But, I mean, there's many instances outside of abuse where we must lay down our preferences for each other. We have to. It, it's part of being, it's not just because you're, like, easily run over. It's because you love Jesus that we lay down our preferences for each other. We make room for one another. Uh, 
in small things. It's, we think, the, you know, when you're being mutually submissive to each other, here's something that's true. We always think the best of each other. So, some of us have a nasty habit of always going to, like, the worst, like, if someone says something, we go to the worst-case scenario for it. But, but we actually, the way, the way that we mutually submit to each other is by believing the best in each other. And that's important in marriage, and it is important in every relationship. We've got to believe the best in each other. Like, I, you might have said that, and it might have hurt me, but I, I actually believe that, that you didn't mean to, that you never meant to hurt me like that. Do you know how much, do you know how much less church hurt there'd be if we'd actually believe the best in each other? If we'd, like, actually not think that we are all thinking, like, like, I'm going to tell you this right now. Nobody came to church looking to backstab you. They did not get up this morning and say, I'm going to be rude. I'm going to snub that person and be rude to them. Nobody thinks that. As Christians, we've, we've got to get... The, the, Peter is talking about this mutual submission, being able to honor one another. And this is very practical, the way we honor one another, the way that we, we lay our lives down for each other. When Dave and I first got married, I think I've told you this before, like, I am kind of messy in the kitchen. Well, kind of, by kind of, I mean a lot messy. And I'm like that person that gets every pot out and every ingredient out because I like to see it all. But Dave is not like that. Dave has his socks arranged in drawers by color coordination. Okay, so. <laughs> it's not really that bad. It's gotten worse since we had four kids. I've rubbed off on them. But I realized really early into our marriage, so this is practical, the one of the ways that we could, that I could be mutually submissive to Dave was I could learn how to keep my mess under control. I could learn that the way that I served him was like, on a day off, was like cleaning. Oh, for the first five, nine, 12 years of our marriage. <laughs> 20 years, no. That was hard. Like, this is, this is real life, everyone. Mutually, being mutually submissive to one another. I mean, I think these, these are easy messages to go, yes, praise the Lord. We're all going to be submissive to one another. And then, like, walking that out means that you cannot have a messy, it means that I had to learn to make my bed. I had to read books that told me that I'd be 10% happier if I made my bed every day. Because I knew that this mattered. Because I knew it mattered to him. Like... See, and he's amening me right now because he's saying, that is good. That was good. <laughs> and I talk a lot. So he had to be mutually submissive to me to talk to me at 1, 1.30 in the morning. You know, you just, we, we have to work this out because our witness depends on it. Because there are people out here who don't know Jesus. And if all they see is cranky church people being mad at each other and mad at the world and mad at their... No one's ever going to say, sign me up. They're going to say, I, I don't even know why you get up early on Sunday morning. It's our privilege. And third thing is this. We should use our power in marriage to bless and serve, not manipulate and control. So Peter talks about this, really. Like, he really gets under, the, he get, it goes under all of it. He talks about, like, we shouldn't adorn ourselves. He's getting at sexuality there. Like, women, we cannot use our sexuality in marriage as a way to have power and control in a marriage. And the Bible goes there, so I guess I will too. 
We can't use our power that way. It's, it's not godly or right. We lay our power down. We submit to one another. And um, I heard this yesterday. I was listening to a podcast about marriage and one of the, the, the men on there said, like, I'm a person who deals with um, bitterness. And he said, I, I didn't know, like, every time my wife would do something, it would just get on my nerves and I'd get more and more bitter. And some of us are built this way a little bit, like, we're not like ducks naturally, we're like collectors. We collect all of the hurt and pain and then it builds up into bitterness. And he said, the way that the Lord helped me deal with that is he, he said, I would just learn to bless my wife. Because you, forg- you haven't forgiven someone if you can't bless them. So he said, every time she'd do something to get on my nerves, which I guess clearly was a lot, because <laughs> they were married. Why, why, by the way, why do, we pretend, why do we pretend in churches that marriage is not hard? Why do we pretend that relationships aren't hard? Like we often pretend, well, for, we're all just a happy family. I mean, which is true, but it's work, Right? So anyways, he just said, and I I would say that this works in marriage, it works in just our friendships as well. Someone gets on your nerves, we would just bless each other. You honor someone by blessing them. So you say, I'm just going to bless that person, I'm going to bless that they, and believe the best in them. I believe they didn't mean to hurt me, I believe they didn't mean to harm me, I bless them in Jesus' name, and all of a sudden that takes the sting out of the bitterness. The last thing is this, when one person is not pulling their weight, we have to keep serving each other. So like this, and obviously this does not, an, this does not in any way apply to an abusive situation. It's very important that we say that both publicly, and I would look you in the eyes and tell you if you're in an abusive situation, that is not God's will for you. But short of that, in this passage about Abraham, Sarah calling Abraham Lord, and she kept going with him, calling him her husband, walking with him, even when it was hard. In fact, by the way, the only time, the only time in Scripture that is when um, that that, Ab- that Sarah obeyed Abraham is when God said to Abraham, "Ask Sarah what to do, and do everything she tells you to do." <laughs> it's a really funny Bible study you can do this week. That was for free. Um, but we have to keep serving each other. Your marriage might be in a hard spot right now. Your relationship might be in a hard spot right now. So I, I want to I just speak to the married people for a second. It's very rare that I, you're never going to come to Journey Church and hear a five-week message on marriage, partly because I think we have to be called to one another, and 34% of our country is single. Okay, but let me speak to the married people for a second. You were called to covenant and when you make a covenant, that is a promise. It, it, it is the, the biggest promise you can make. And we have to keep working at that, being faithful to that covenant, even when it doesn't feel right. There are going to be seasons in your marriage where you're not pulling your weight either. So you just keep calling your husband, husband, and your wife, wife, and treating them like they are. And this is what creates our witness that we keep walking through seasons with each other. Because ultimately, this is what Peter said, we're serving God in these relationships. I mean, it's partly why we don't also give up on our church community. Somebody's not pulling their weight. Your pastor's not pulling their weight. Your small group leader hasn't called you since COVID began. No, no, we just keep 
We just keep serving each other because this is what it means. This is what it means to walk with Jesus and walk with one another. And then verse 8, Peter sums it up with the word finally, and I'm going to say the word finally too. Praise God. Finally, all of you be like-minded. Be sympathetic. You know what it means to be sympathetic? It means to like actually understand someone else's pain. Be sympathetic to each other. Love one another. Be compassionate and humble. And this is how we submit to one another. So today we're going to take communion together, and I thought this would be the most appropriate way for us to respond to this message. Um, you know, the really big takeaway from this week's portion of Scripture and last week's Scripture is that we are ultimately called to honor one another and submit to each other because this is the example Jesus gave to us. We were lost in our sin. We had no direction in our lives, and yet Jesus yielded his will to the fathers to become a sacrifice for us. When Jesus said in the Gospels, he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he was praying and the Bible said he had drops of blood coming from his head. And we know now medically, like he was, you can be so stressed, you sweat blood. This is not the picture of someone who's like, sign me up for the cross. I am excited to do that this afternoon. Submission is not always easy. But hear the words of Jesus. What did he say? He said, not my will, but yours be done. It is the ultimate picture of submission. And so our little submit, like last time I looked, nobody in this room was asking somebody else to like go on a cross for them. They're like maybe asking you to do a chore around the house. Maybe they're asking you to listen. we just got to remember the size. You see, the sacrifice of Jesus anchors us in everything. This is what the word keeps calling us back to. Remember, this is all about the sacrifice of Jesus. The word of God, when we read it, it should always bring us back to the sacrifice Jesus made for us. This is what it means to, to live a Christocentric life. So as we take communion today, I'm just going to get you to take that top off and hold the cracker up. We are going to remember his body that was broken for us. And as we drink the juice in just a moment, we're going to drink it together. Just hang on to it. We're going to remember his blood that was shed for us. And I want us, as we take this to communion, to be particularly aware that we are doing this together. You know, in the epistles, when Paul called us to take communion, he reminded us that we're to do this together because there's something about togetherness that we're taking it like we're submitting to one another as Jesus submitted to his father we're submitting to one another There's something beautiful about that so Jesus we thank you for your body that was broken for us thank you for your submission to the father's will so that our lives could be saved help me now to follow you to follow your example and submit to the people around me and God today collectively we repent for when we were unwilling to submit to each other, particularly in our marriages, how we became hard-hearted and didn't listen to each other. So as you partake, let's partake it together. Thank you, Jesus. 
as you take that today, would you just say, God, would you just show me where I have not lived in submission to you or to others? Where I haven't taken advice, where I've been hard-hearted, unwilling to hear you? God, would you just show up? Jesus, we thank you for your blood that was poured out for us for the cleansing of sins. We thank you that your blood doesn't just cover our sins, but it cleanses us from all unrighteousness. God, we specifically think of the ways that we have been dishonoring to each other. Help us now to commit to living lives of mutual submission so that our prayers would be heard. Can we partake of this together? Thank you, Jesus. You know, I was really struck by um, Karen's story to us about prayer. And as we were watching it, oh man, the Holy Spirit just highlighted this section of scripture that says, listen, if you don't honor, if you don't honor your wife, your prayers are going to be hindered. Now, I'm not saying, hear me, hear, hear me clearly today. Some of us have had prayers that have not been answered and we don't understand why. And maybe this side of heaven, we will not understand why. But it could be that some of us have areas in our life that we have not been honoring to one another. The Bible's really clear about this, that our prayers are like, like they get hindered. This is not me making it up. It's not me making it extrapolate. It's right there. I, I just feel like maybe there'd be some of you today that need to repent of that. That's not God. God tells us that he disciplines those he loves. So if you come to church every week and God never puts his finger on you, I know God loves you, so I'm going to assume you're just not listening. If you're in your quiet time every day and you never feel the finger of God, right here in this place, can we just, we don't, you know, the thing about repenting is that it doesn't actually, it's not like always tied to emotion. Sometimes it's just like, God, I repent. I repent for not being, for not being honoring, for speaking ill of my husband speaking ill of my wife for speaking ill of the person that I am roommates with or whatever it is just in this place would you just like allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you God we repent of the times that we have not been submissive to one another God, we want to be a community of people where you hear our prayers. We want to be a house of miracles. We believe that you've called us to be that. So I pray that you'd give us courage now in the, in the areas that you highlight to us where we haven't been honoring to one another. God, would you give us courage now to honor one another, to ask for forgiveness. And we're going to give you all the praise and all the glory in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us today on Journey Church Podcast. For more information about our ministry, visit myjourney.church.